Hello, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast, which presents the interviews from our live shows in Minneapolis. This episode features an interview we did with Richard Painter. Painter is a lawyer and the S. Walter Ritchie Professor of Corporate Law at the University of Minnesota. He was the chief White House ethics lawyer in the George W. Bush administration from 2005 to 2007. He currently is exploring a run for U.S. Senate. Wink, wink. Our media sponsor this season is MinPost, which provides reader-supported news and analysis. You can read local, state, and national news at MinPost.com. Thank you for coming back. Proud to be here. Yeah, like only half the audience comes back, and you came back. It's very nice. Thank well, that's you. That's great. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, I wanted you have a like a fascinating life right now i feel like because you're a professor at the university of minnesota which is a good gig and you you actually told me like right before you got here you were on msnbc so you get to do these sort of like tv gigs now and again and now and again i i feel like you're on a lot and whatnot so uh why would you throw all that away in order to go to washington dc like you've got the good life here in minnesota well, somebody's got to clean up this mess in Washington. It's awful. I just was on MSNBC tonight. They had this uh, guy, Hugh Hewitt, who he thinks he's a hot shot. And, and he was defending the EPA administrator uh, for getting this $50 a night room from a lobbyist. Now, I just said, you find me a room for $50 a night in Washington, D.C., and how can I get it other than becoming EPA administrator and renting it from a lobbyist? And then he starts telling me there's an ethics opinion, and there's sophisticated lawyers looked at this and everything, and then that I was slandering these brilliant lawyers who signed off on it. And then he says, well, there's a reason you, uh, you're in Minnesota, not in Washington, D.C. Oh, yay. Oh. And what did the you The rest say? of it was a blast for me. I mean, <laughs> you know, somebody pays their salary in Washington, D.C., and they're supposed to be representing the people. And what's going on is that they go in there, and they get together with the lobbyists, they get their room for $50 a night or whatever, and the elected officials get their campaign contributions from the lobbyists and uh, from the vested interests. And, of course, what do you think happens? We get bumpkas. And this is not the first instance. They've got Jared and Ivanka's landlord is a billionaire from Chile. And this gentleman has a, well, I call him a gentleman, I'm trying to be polite. And, and <laughs> Wow, I would just hate to see you not oh, polite. Right? I gotta be very polite in this. Well, he has a mine up there at the Boundary Waters. He wants to open up the copper mine. Well, Governor Dayton said that wasn't too good an idea. No, no. Uh, but uh, the Obama administration was litigating against him over this. Uh, but the Trump administration has very conveniently uh, decided in the Interior Department to reverse this, I guess, and they want to allow Jared Ivanka's landlord, I don't know what the rent is, uh, uh, to open up this mine. I mean, this is the kind of thing, we've got to put a stop to this foolishness. So, so okay, so I, I, I get all, and you had, like, the perfect job for doing this in some ways, right? Like, you were the ethics lawyer. Who even knew that that oxymoron was a job title? Well, that's like, it. <laughs> That's if they want to listen to the ethics lawyer. So then, I mean, that's uh, a whole other story. And again, I know that you, you haven't uh, declared uh, that you're running for Senate officially. Although, if you wanted to, an improv comedy show would be a place to do it. <laughs> we could think about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I got an audience here, right? Some campaign workers. I mean, we can have a good time. <laughs> so, but so uh, you haven't officially announced that you're actually you're running. Uh, but uh, what you're talking about, a lot of these things, yes, uh, I think that most folks would here would agree th- those are problems. Why is like potentially running for Senate the way to address that? Right? Like uh, you you've uh, already been suing the Trump administration um, over emoluments uh, issues. You are a very vocal critic with a pretty big microphone in a lot of places. Uh, what would potentially like running for Senate change or be different? Well, I, I'm going to give them a heck whichever way I do it, but I think if I, I, if I run for Senate, I'm going to win this thing. I'm going to be in the Senate and I'm going to make a lot of noise. I'm going to let this administration know uh, that they are not representing the people of this country and that we are fed up with the way we're being treated. This president has violated the Constitution. I can go through all the amendments, starting with the First Amendment, on through, and I don't want to take all night with you. But somebody's got to stand up to him and say, no, we're not going to sit down and negotiate with Donald Trump the way he's treating us and the way he's treating the Constitution uh, and the people who are working for this administration. So we need a Senate and a House of Representatives that's going to take action. And all they've been doing is sitting on their can, raking in campaign money, uh, and they haven't taken action at all. And I'm fed up with it. So uh, you... Uh, I- that's a good applause. So you said uh, when you announced you were thinking about this, you said you know your number. Just as you're saying here, your number one thing would be ethics and uh, trying to clean up the corruption uh, in Washington. If you decided to run and you were elected, so uh, give, just give us sort of practically, you know, what does that mean for a senator? Does that mean like stopping all nominations until certain things are met? Does it mean? Uh, I, I, I'm just the mechanics of sort of what one senator can do are really interesting to me. Well, as for the nominations, the president has the power to nominate. The Senate uh, has the uh, uh, power to decide where to confirm or not. And if we have a president who's not complying with the Constitution, uh, then I think there's a very good reason to say absolutely no to his nominations. I recall that Mitch McConnell said that in the last year of a presidency, uh, the Senate shouldn't even have to have a hearing for a Supreme Court nominee. Remember Merrick Garland? Well, uh, the last year of the presidency, I think Donald Trump's working on that, for sure. Uh, so I'd say no more hearings until we figure out whether we have a president who is capable of doing the job. And apparently the answer to that is no. You know, the House and Senate Judiciary Committee should be meeting, and I'm old enough to remember. I was 12 years old at the time when Richard Nixon was engaged in obstruction of justice and other things, and they had both the House and Senate uh, uh, had the Judiciary Committee's meeting and deciding uh, and investigating, finding out what was going on. I don't know what they're doing now, I and mean, they're investigating Hillary's email or something. I don't know. But um, we really need to get the House and Senate both need to get in gear and carry forward with their obligations under the Constitution. But I'm going to emphasize this isn't just about Trump. It's about campaign finance. That's what got us into this mess. We have the Citizens United opinion from the Supreme Court that struck down campaign uh, uh, finance uh, uh, legislation. We need to continue to fight that and pass new legislation and uh, uh, see what the court's going to do with that. We need disclosure. President Obama called for disclosure of campaign money. Uh, right after the Citizens United decision. Remember that speech in the State of the Union and Justice Alito sitting there shaking his head? Well, sorry about that. President Obama proposed disclosure 
legislation that all of this dark money be disclosed. Did they ever pass Congress? Of course not. They're too busy raking in dark money contributions uh, and the super PACs. Disclosure we need. We also need small dollar donors. Uh, we need to take the uh, Minnesota program uh, where you get the tax credit. We need to go nationwide with that, $200. I shouldn't have to pay tax if I don't have the first $200 go to a candidate of my choice. Let's get the small dollar donors in and get the Koch brothers out, as, along with the Mercers. So... So just to put a button on this, though, if there's a senator painter, a senator painter is like, um, we're not doing anything until we've launched investigations into X, Y, and Z of the uh, administration into these different cabinet offices. Like, it's sort of, we're, we're stopped here? Well, it depends on what anything is. I mean, we have immigration reform. We ought to fix that. We ought to, the, uh, the DACA uh, uh, people ought to be able to stay here in the United States. We ought to reach a path to citizenship. People already here. Come up with a plan, you know? So they want to do that, fine. But they're going to waste my money, my taxpayer money, on some wall down there on the southern border of Texas. I mean, that's not happening. I mean, that's going to create jobs in Minnesota? Like, right. Uh, don't think so. So it depends on what they want to do. Uh, I, you know, if they have constructive ideas, uh, uh, immigration reform or uh, uh, trying to clean up the, uh, the banking sector, I'm all for it. But so far, all I've heard is a lot of nonsense coming out of Washington. Okay, so uh, you were just talking about this, the campaign finance and whatnot, and you were thinking about running. Your treasurer is in the audience, and, like, uh, how, how, do you, how do you – I mean, this is just a very practical question. How, uh, how do you run – uh, without any of those uh, those dollars and whatnot, because you know, as much as we might want to say right now, like we would love it for there to be a system where everything is small dollars, it's not. And your opponents very likely will have like huge amounts of money from these other folks. So do you just do earned media like Donald Trump style and do lots of tweets and whatnot, or how how do you sort of fight back against that? I hope I don't send out tweets like a president there um he said out some today that you know they set the stock market in the tank and i wonder if he's shortened the amazon stock and regardless i think they they may be even guilty of securities fraud i mean you can't just lie about public companies like that send the stock in the tank and both investors get staffed so uh bottom line here on campaigns is that a lot of this money what it buys is a tech ads that run on television going after the other candidate. Do these ads say anything informative about the candidate who's running for office? No. I mean, they, they you know, describe him as an American hero and have a flag behind him, I guess, or something like that. But most of these ads spend all the time talking about how awful the other candidate is. And that's all we get treated to uh, thanks to this campaign finance system. I don't think voters in Minnesota are stupid enough to believe all that garbage. And I wouldn't want to pay for that garbage. So, you, so a, a, a hypothetical painter campaign has no negative a- ads? I don't, I, why don't. Why run negative ads? I mean, why not focus on yourself and what you can bring to the table and make the, make the system better? So, yeah? I mean, that's no the way it ought ads? to be. You know? I mean, if people say something stupid, I can say, say, okay, you said something a little bit stupid. But, you know, I think we're going to So have it's some... like no negative ads, but yeah. passive-aggressive ads, maybe. No. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not going to pay for that on TV. But I'm going to tell you, so I think in this Senate race, I think we're going to have good candidates. Uh, we often have good candidates here in Minnesota. The problem isn't the candidates. It's the way the major parties work and all the money uh, from the major parties. And the fact that the people are raising the money, whether it's Mitch McConnell or Chuck Schumer or Donald Trump, uh, I mean, they expect you to toe the line. 
And I don't think that's right. When we elect a senator, the senator is there to represent the people of the state of Minnesota and to do what, you know, is in the best interest of this state, not to toe a party line and not to worry about who's providing the money for the next round. Uh, so I, would I might criticize another candidate for comment they make, but this idea of uh, characterizing the opposing candidate as if somehow they're a, 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 a till of the hunt, I mean, it's just awful. So, uh, I, I, and they're using all this money from, I don't know where the money comes from, that's President Obama's point, in order to do this. It's useless. So I, I want to ask a few uh, issues, thing, and you've already brought up a few. I mean, obviously, yeah. campaign finance, ethics is a huge part of what you... But if you were a senator, there's all kinds of things that you would be sort of responsible for. Oh, so, like the tax ripoff? Oh, yeah. So I, that was actually going to be one of mine. So you think the you would have voted against the, the tax bill that was just in, in front of the Congress in December. You think that that was just a total... Total ripoff. What would you have no, wanted it was a to rip see? Ripoff for most people. A few billionaires did all right. I mean, it's okay if you're a billionaire. But I mean, look, this is the way to look at the tax bill: is how much debt? How much did it add to our national debt? Somewhere around one, two trillion dollars. That's three thousand and maybe six thousand dollars per person. So multiply that number times every person in your family, and that's how much debt is being incurred because of that tax bill. And then ask how much are you getting in your paycheck after tax? over the next couple of years. Well, if you're in the 99%, you're not doing too well on that. And Minnesotans got a particularly bad job on that because of the, uh, uh, some of the deductions that were affected there. But bottom line is, it was a ripoff for everyone but the corporations and the top 1%, and even the top 1%, it gets a little dicey. So you seem like you would have been a very solid no vote against that tax bill. Yeah, it's a ripoff. I mean, how about a middle-class tax cut? How about tax cuts for people who need the money, you know? Might uh, be a good idea, right? And would a, would, a, would a tax bill that you would potentially vote for need to be uh, deficit neutral or better than the one that we had? Yeah, it has to be a lot better than the one so that we've got. I how, mean, much, we've, how much deficit are you willing to put up with in potentially some of this stuff? Well, it, the de deficit depends on the, how the economy – the economy is doing reasonably well for, for the moment until the president starts a trade war. Um, <laughs> And go in the tank. If the economy's in trouble, you need to have some deficit spending. But when you have a lot of deficit spending, even in the boom times, what's going to happen when the economy goes in the tank? Yet more debt. I mean, this debt, our kids are going to pay off the debt. And so we need to think seriously about uh, how much debt uh, our country is going to have. Uh, and all we're doing, both parties are running up the debt. It used to be Republicans were fiscally conservative. Oh, let's balance the budget and all that. Well, starting with Ronald Reagan, got, that got a little dicey. And with Donald Trump, I mean, j forget it. I mean, he said he's the king of debt. Now he's the president of the United States. So uh, how we should how should we try and start closing the debt? I, I think we need to have a tax code that uh, raises revenue from people who can afford to pay it. We have a tax system that's a lot less progressive than it was maybe. Uh, uh, 30, 40 years ago. That's one uh, part of it. Uh, the other is to try and control spending. And we need to look at everything in spending, uh, including what's going on with the military. Uh, President Eisenhower warned about against the military industrial complex. What he was talking about is the contractors getting together with people in the military, keep ordering more and more equipment and, and getting to some wars, and it runs it on up further. Uh, that's a serious problem. And President Eisenhower foresaw that in his speech in 1961. Um, we need to look at the defense budget, and the other part of the defense budget is a problem, is the lobbyists and the way they lobby in these uh, projects and then campaign contributors and the rest of it. We need to look at domestic spending and uh, ask ourselves with respect to each program, are we getting bang for the buck? Is this where the spending should occur, or should decisions be left to the states? 
And then there's infrastructure. Well, we'll see whether we get a good deal in Minnesota. I don't believe it. I think what's going to happen is Donald Trump's going to come up with an infrastructure plan that's designed to appeal to the so-called swing states, throw in a little for, uh, well, maybe a lot for Senator Schumer and, 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 and some of the uh, people from California to make sure he doesn't get impeached. And I don't know what kind of deal we're going to get. So I'm going to look at that infrastructure plan could be a big ripoff for Minnesota. You've mentioned every part of, like, spending other than entitlements. Is that also potentially part of it? Social Security, Medicare, those kinds of things in terms of trying to control spending? Well, last I checked, I paid for the Social Security. I mean, I ought to get it out, right? I mean, I, I think that if you, you know, you have people who have, uh, you know, very high incomes, whether you tax, you know, what the tax structure is on the Social Security, you're getting the Social Security check on top of a payout from Goldman Sachs of a couple hundred thousand a year. Maybe we can look at what the tax code ought to be. But uh, bottom line is that entitlement programs, a lot of these programs people paid for. Uh, another one uh, that came up a lot. It seemed to dominate the whole year, which is crazy, but uh, that, that didn't happen was repealing Obamacare, uh, repealing the ACA. Uh, how would you, if you had been in the Senate at that point, would you have, would, was there, were there any of the repeal of Obamacare plans that were appealing to you? Repealing, appealing? I can't. Anyway. I'd repeal and replace Donald Trump. I don't know. I, I, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, oh, you know, the idea is uh, you want to have as many people covered by health insurance as possible. Uh, because if people aren't covered by health insurance, uh, they're going to go to the emergency room. It's going to be much more expensive there. And or they're not going to go see a doctor when they could have prevented something from happening. And then it becomes a lot more expensive. So we're going to save money. It's going to be a more efficient system if we can get to uh, having 100% of Americans insured. Uh, President Obama got part of the way there. So that's great he did that. We ought to be moving forward in the same direction. And maybe there's some other ideas people can come up with. But uh, they didn't do anything. They came up with a bunch of uh, proposals to repeal and replace. And uh, they were replacing it with anything except for ideas, uh, programs that would reduce the number of people insured. That's going in the wrong direction. It makes absolutely no sense. It's going to jack up costs for everyone else. And uh, it, it doesn't pay at all to do that. So uh, all I, I, I appreciate your – these are very, like, thoughtful, like, fleshed-out answers. And it, what's confusing cognitively is that you're a longtime Republican uh, saying uh, a lot of these things. And not that, like, Republicans don't uh, make sense of it, but that these are all yeah. – these are all uh, very – you know, what – is there somewhere that you uh, feel like – you know what? I, this is the place where I agree with Republicans more than Democrats. Well, there are some good Republicans. I mean, Artie Carlson, good man, right? Good governor. Yep. yep. But, yes, and you've like, got uh, we actually had some in, in the Republican Party in Minnesota, and then they got banned. They had a purge some ten years ago, and say they couldn't even show up. Um, bandana purge? Banned. They were banned. Oh, banned. From the, they're banned. banned. I thought there was some sort of like well, bandana. There were, like, well, they're probably doing like that too. Wild but, West. You know, yeah. um, no, but I mean, yes, there's I, there's obviously like individual, like most people would be like, yeah, Abraham Lincoln, pretty good guy. Yeah. So, but um, well, Arnie Carlson is a little more recent than Abraham right, Lincoln. Right, but like, so, yeah. I, and I'm not asking though about individual people. I'm looking for some, like, oh, is there anywhere left that you feel like, yeah, the Republican Party is, I agree more with that than the Democratic Party at this point? Well, it depends on who in the Republican Party. Pick anyone right uh, now. Well, uh, Senator uh, Collins of Maine had some comments about President Trump. I think she w didn't know she was on the mic. 
I, I, about his mental capacity. I, I definitely agree with those. So, I mean, they're, they're gonna, at the end of the day, we need people going to be independent of uh, parties. We used to have our Republican Party in this state was called the Independent Republican Party for 20 years. Between 1975 and 1995 or six, or they got rid of that. They didn't want to be independent anymore because I guess the people were controlling the money, the Mitch McConnells of this world, didn't like that independence idea. So I'm focusing on being independent. I don't care about whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, uh, you know, that's not the point. The point is, what is best for the United States of America? What's best for the people of Minnesota? And I don't think the political parties define that at all. So it doesn't sound like you're probably running as a Republican then. Well, I'm, you know, I've been thinking about that. I'm not necessarily the, the, the guy they really love in the Minnesota Republican Party right now. <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> We had some issues back in 2010. They they thought that they you know they got control of the state legislature and they thought the number one priority was regulating marriage licenses and putting that in the constitution. It's like wait a minute, what happened to individual liberty? Mm, no, oh, well, that's not important. Uh, so I got in a bit of a fight with them about that and said this is really stupid. You're going to lose, and you're going to lose control of the state legislature. Yeah, and guess what happened? So they don't want to deal with me anymore. I say, okay, you want to act like a bunch of bigots? This is what happens. I mean, whatever. So, um, so then, though, the challenge is if you uh, uh, running as potentially running as a Democrat, uh, if you were to run in that uh, field. No, I think they've made up their mind. They've, they have a senator there already. I mean, she's there and they like her, so why not? So, is there uh, anyone here from the Independence Party that is like recruiting right now that needs someone to sign up to run for the Senate? Well, the Independence Party are independent. I mean, I, I think there are the, an independent option is one that we need to take very seriously, uh, not just in Minnesota but nationwide. Uh, we need alternatives uh, because what we got, what happened last time around is uh, not everyone wanted to vote for uh, Hillary Clinton, and I understand that. I ended up uh, after going through three Republicans in the primaries. <laughs> Uh, uh, endorsing Hillary Clinton, uh, but uh, not everyone uh, wanted to do that, so who are you going to vote for? And then they <laughs> decided to vote for Donald Trump. Look what we got. I mean, we've got to have alternatives. And uh, we, I think third parties may very well be the answer in the United States, particularly the Republican Party keeps going the way it is, because this is just a disaster. Uh, and uh, the Republican Party came into being because the, uh, the Whigs couldn't deal with the slavery question. So maybe it's time to go bye-bye if they can't get their act together and represent ordinary people. Maybe they should go back to the Whigs. Like well, that, maybe they should. But, be retro. You know, nobody's, nobody's representing the, the farmers in this state. Uh, uh, agriculture. Looks like uh, uh, Donald Trump wants to start a trade war with China. Uh, well, who's going to get hurt? Agriculture is our number one export in the United States. We have a lot of farmers in Minnesota. And who's standing up against Donald Trump and saying no? This makes zero sense, not only putting in the very, very high tariffs on steel and aluminum, but then mouthing off like we could win a trade war. My, it's, it's the trade war equivalent of my button is bigger than your button. And, you know, now China just announced retaliation this morning. We've got the stock market way down. Well, this is really going to hurt agriculture, our number one export. And nobody's standing up for the farmers of this state. Uh, the Republicans just have to kowtow to Donald Trump, the, the DFL, Democrat Farm Labor Party as well. The farm bid is just, I guess, a little bit tenuous there right now. So uh, that's a serious issue. Uh, we need to stand firm 
against this president. He's going to wreck our economy as well as our Constitution. So uh, the last piece, and I should say in the second half of the show, we open it for you all to ask questions of our guests. So please start thinking about those. But the last piece, so uh, if, you're, if you decide you're going to run – it's not just sort of getting to do wonderfully fun things like public policy improv shows. Like, there's there's a lot of, like, pancake breakfasts that you have to go to and late-night coffees and uh, shaking hands with, you know, 100 people who want to tell you about uh, their plan to provide free energy using kerosene. Um, <laughs> like... How I, are you? I, there's a part of me that's just like, do you really want to sign up for that? Because like, it's a it's a lot. It's a lot to it's a lot of pancakes. Yes, well, I, I I'm better at the pancakes than the late night coffee. That better be decaf. Uh, that coffee there. But uh, of course, you want to go out and meet people and talk to people about what they what they'd like to see in Washington. And you can't get everything done uh, for everybody. But we need to focus on representing the interests of ordinary people. And what I see right now is a government. Uh, that really serves a very small number of people who finance the political campaigns. And that's what's going on. And Donald Trump said he's going to drain the swamp. What did he do? He went down there, he brought a bunch of backfill in from New York, and uh, you know we've got a Treasury Secretary who's uh, flying around, uh, uh, jet-setting at taxpayer expense, and the Interior Secretary, everybody else, uh, living the high life and representing the interests of only the very, very well-to-do. This isn't the way Washington's supposed to work. So we need to fix that, and uh, there are going to be a lot of ideas people come up with and a lot of pancake breakfasts. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of voters in this state and around the country have the same concern. This government doesn't represent regular people. It's not working. It's all about the money, and it's not about public service, and that's just plain wrong. On that uh, very powerful note, please, a tremendous round of applause for Pastor Richard Painter. We're going to take our seats. Who has a question? Raise your hand and it will come towards you. Yes. Richard, what did you think about running after seeing that skit? <laughs> that was a it's great a, I'm sorry, sir. It's a sketch. But go ahead. Uh, <laughs> it was a great sketch. I liked it. It was good. Yes. <laughs> he knows how to a play to more an audience. A lot more entertaining than our president. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, yes, there's a question here. So we've been hearing in the news about uh, this shady outfit called Sinclair Broadcasting Group. And I'm wondering what your position is on uh, whether or not ownership entities of any media companies that have a news division should be forced to disclose who their, um, who their, ownership, who their owners are and where their money's coming from. I think that's a good idea. We also shouldn't have so much concentration in the industry. I mean, that's what's driving this. They, they are, you know, they could get to a point where they could reach 70% of the country and they want to go for 100%. And then what they've got is the headquarters there is dictating the script. Uh, and, of course, they're in the back pocket of Donald Trump. I mean, we're going to lose freedom of the press in this country the way we're going. The president's tweeting about how great they are, and then he's trashing uh, NS, MSNBC. He's trashing Amazon. He doesn't care about Amazon. He just doesn't like the fact that uh, Mr. Bezos owns the Washington Post, and he hates the Washington Post. Uh, we are in a very bad situation uh, right now with respect to freedom of the press. And we have outfits like Sinclair that are building up so much power uh, and then telling their, uh, uh, their anchors what they need to say, uh, giving them a script. Uh, that's a very dangerous situation. So it would be a lot more disclosure I choose to deal with it. We need a lot less concentration 
of media ownership in this country. How do we do that? I mean, we, we just I, have some rules as to who can own how many TV stations and newspapers and the rest of it. We used to actually enforce those rules, and uh, you know, we have Federal Communications Commission, but they're they're coming up with loopholes and everything. And of course, the K Street lobbyists are. Uh, uh, going to work on that. And I don't know. I've got to look into it. Maybe the Federal Communications Commission and the people working there are getting $50 a night rooms, too. All right. I don't know um, what's going on. Uh, there was, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pro-life or pro-choice? Pro-life? I'm in favor of life. I mean, yeah. But should, should the government be telling people where to have an abortion? No, it's none of the government's business. I mean, can't government just focus on what government's supposed to be doing? Which is trying to, you know, defend our country, get the economy on an even keel without borrowing all this money all the time. Abortion is a very difficult um, uh, medical ethics issue, and uh, for a lot of people it's a moral issue, a theological issue. We could debate when the beginning of human life is, but does this government know any better than individual women who are making those decisions with their doctors? Of course not. Donald Trump doesn't know anything about abortions other than whatever ones he's paid for. Okay, yes. There's probably a lot of them, but I won't go any further. With all due respect, and I really do respect you, as one person in Washington, how do you really think you're going to be able to make a difference when a lot of good Democrats in Washington can't? Well, Democrats, Republicans, everybody's trying, uh, sort of, to make sure their campaign contributors are happy. I mean, that's the problem. We need somebody who doesn't worry about whether they're going to get reelected. Now, this Senate term, the one I'm looking at, is a two years to the left in the Franken term. I've got a job at the University of Minnesota. I can come back to it. I have no interest in becoming a professional politician, and then, you know, a lot of them, when they're through, they want to go become K Street lobbyists and lobby all their friends. Uh, I will do everything I can to fix this system. And uh, that means holding this president accountable refusing to confirm any of his nominations, his judges. I mean, this president is not willing to comply with the Constitution. He shouldn't be choosing judges with lifetime tenure. I'm going to stand up to this president and uh, also do everything I can to fix this system of campaign finance. We need disclosure of the dark money. We need small-dollar donors, a tax credit for small-dollar donors. Yes, everyone else in the Senate could refuse to go along with anything I suggest. That might very well be the possibility, but I would do everything I can to advance the interests of the people of this state and of this country in a democratic system that works. So That's the best I can do. To, to build on that, though, I mean, if you ran and you ran as a, an independent or independent party candidate and, and you were separated in some way from the, the parties, uh, there's an argument there, there's strength in numbers, and, and I'm curious how you are more effective, you do more to do those things that you're talking about, standing up to President Trump, X, Y, and Z, than uh, a Democrat, potentially, who, I, you know, again, with all due respect, there's a lot of Democrats who would disagree with you and say, I'm standing up to Trump every day. Like, I'm, I'm try doing everything I can to stand up to President Trump. So why are you different, better than having a Democrat in that seat? I'm going to focus on what I'm going to do and let, let the Democrats and Republicans, some Republicans have stood up to President Trump here and there. Um, but uh, I'm going to focus on what I'm going to do. I think this president has shown that he is not fit for, pu for public office. And he's violating the Constitution. We're well past time to have the committees of the Senate Judiciary Committee and the House Judiciary Committee 
have hearings and find out what's going on. We're well past where we were with Watergate. When I was a kid, they had the Watergate break-in. They did that without the KGB being involved. I mean, this is Watergate with a bunch of Russians added into it and a lot of other problems. We need to get busy. And if the Democrats want to get going, they can get going. But they need to start going on it and not saying, well, we're in the minority, so we can't do anything, so we'll focus on other things. They ought to be focusing on holding this president accountable, and so should the Republicans. And the Republicans have the most to lose because they're going to be blamed for this idiot. Okay, okay. Uh, where did I? Where, you, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Hello. Can you comment on the uh, Chris Kobach and the interstate cross check program, which I think is stealing a lot more votes than, you know, some of the other voter suppression programs out there? I don't. Kobach that so can you just say maybe quickly what the Chris Kobach Secretary of State of Kansas is working on and and how that is playing out and where what then what your thoughts are oh uh, this is uh, where they were looking at uh, voter so-called voter fraud yeah voter fraud means uh, minorities are showing up at the polls that's the bottom line <laughs> look I'm, I'm not a dummy I've been involved I've, I've worked with people in Republican politics I'm, I've been a moderate Republican so these sort of let me listen in every now and then. I know what's going on with that. This whole voter fraud thing is basically about trying to have as many requirements as possible so minority voters and lower income voters don't show up. And, you know, now they're asking this question about citizenship and the census, which is to try and make sure that people don't talk to the census person so they get undercounted. I, I know what the game is. So I don't want to, you know, take apart specific part. Uh, Aspects of it. it was a fraud to begin with. This whole voter fraud commission uh, that President Trump set up. So I, I you know, th this issue's been used for a long time. Voter ID is another one uh, to try and suppress the vote. And now they say they're going to they want to have Secret Service people show up at the polls. I mean, give me a break. Thanks, team. Seventy percent of Democrats are in favor of impeaching Trump, but our constitutional choice is not. Trump or Clinton. Our constitutional choice is Trump or Pence. Do you think that's a fair argument to present to Republicans? And if they, they're really forced to think about it, how many Republicans do you think can say with a straight face that Trump would be a better, safer president than Pence? None. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. Um, I mean, I think the Democrats want to remove uh, uh, President Trump or probably think about what's in the best interest of their country. But uh, if you're thinking about what's in the best interest of the Democratic Party, and this may explain why there's some slow motion there on Capitol Hill, what's in the best interest of the Democratic Party is to keep Trump in place because he's a walking, talking, tweeting ad for the DNC. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just a complete disaster for Republicans. It's the Republicans who ought to can him. Uh, and if they have the guts to stand up to the Trump, so-called Trump base, uh, you know, they'd bite the bullet and get rid of him, tell him to go back to New York, and they put Pence in there. Pence has some problems. He can't, you know, being alone in a room with a woman, he says. I mean, some of them, you know, some of these guys say that, that there's something else going on. I mean, you never know. But uh, yeah, Pence has some issues, wow. okay? I know he's Did got we just issues. out Mike Pence? Um, yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know what his deal is. He's got issues, but at least he calm. He calmed things down. He wouldn't be tweeting all the time at three in the morning, sitting on. I don't know where he sits at three in the morning. The president when he oh. tweets. But okay. you know, he's setting the stock market down. He's driving uh, this trade war thing. The my button's bigger than yours. I think with Mike Pence, uh, it's just sort of like Dan Quayle all over again. If you remember him. <laughs> you Only can if deal you with it do. for okay, two I'll years. Okay, I'll go here and then I'll come back down here. Are there any Republican House representatives from Minnesota that are worth retaining in November? I won't comment on any of them right now. I, you know, I, I did like, I thought Eric Post was good standing up on the trade war. At least he had the guts to stand up to Trump on that. Uh, now, if he'd call for impeachment of the president, that would be another step in the right direction. But he hasn't done that yet. So, uh, you know, we have had some resistance to the trade war. Um, I think he's the only one. I, I'm in uh, Mendota Heights. I'm in the. Uh, we've got Jason Lewis as our congressman. <laughs> oh boy! Don't get me started. Don't ask what do my, you think don't about ask Jason my wife Lewis? What she thinks of him? <laughs> okay. Uh. Well, at least you have a, a good alternative in Angie Craig to vote for in November. But that yeah, she's good. I've, I've met her. I, I, I went down to her office, did a Facebook thing with her, and talked about campaign finance reform. And I was with her most of the way until, you know, obviously she's going to have to take the PAC money and deal with all that because that's part of being a major party candidate. But she agrees with me at least on where we ought to be going forward on campaign finance. Yeah. My question is that you can have great ideas and, and they can be, uh, we can all agree with you on a lot of what you've said tonight. But is it realistic to think that an independent running as an independent can be elected in Minnesota? The um, track record isn't very good other than um, Jesse Ventura, and that was quite an unusual year that year. Yes, uh, yes he was an unusual governor. That's, that's true. Um, Angus King pulled that off up in Maine and uh, has, done, you know, has done quite well. Uh, I think voters are fed up with the two-party system and what, what's going on here, particularly with all the campaign money. Now, if the uh, two parties or one of the parties were to say, okay, no more super PACs, no more PACs, we're just going to take money from individual donors uh, and let them run all those negative ads, I, I think that the, uh, the voters would, uh, would respect that. Uh, we're sick and tired of the way big money dominates politics right now, and that's the way the two parties are functioning. Uh, particularly, it's gotten worse after the Citizens United case. So uh, there's an appetite for independence. Uh, independents have been elected before, and uh, I think that's an avenue I want to explore. Okay. Um, so the youth are activated with this gun control issue, and I'm wondering what your hopes and fears are for their situation. Well, it's going to be rough. Uh, I wrote an op-ed in the New York Times about six years ago about the NRA and how they're running a protection racket in the Republican Party. You know, they'll endorse you, and if you go against them, they uh, will take you out in a primary. And, oh, gee, the hate mail I got and the threats, and I had to call the cops at the university on some of that. I mean, it was awful. Um, there's a lot of hate out there, and I've seen this directed at these uh, high school uh, students who are simply uh, uh, asking for some... Uh, basic laws to protect their lives from uh, uh, people coming in with uh, AR-15s, assault weapons. I mean, what is wrong with having some laws where people had to at least uh, 
get a license for an AR-15. I mean, people can buy an AR-15 in a lot of states when they can't have a beer. I mean, this is ridiculous. How about lowering the drinking age to 18 and the AR-15 age to 21? At least for starters. I mean, wow. This is ridiculous. He and, is a good politician. Yeah, the end. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, this is ridiculous. Uh, the, the point is the NRA, and the NRA sued the state of Florida when the, the state of Florida decided they're going to say you have to be 21 to have an AR-15, uh, you know, any kind of assault weapon. Uh, the NRA is a very hate-filled lobby, and I've dealt with them because I've been opposing them, uh, but I think we need to overcome that. So uh, those students, uh, high school students, are going out there and protesting. Uh, that's our future. And they are, they are speaking up for themselves, and they're going to be voting when they're 18. Uh, and they better be voting for the right leaders uh, who are going to stand up for, you know, I, I, this is not about taking people's guns away. This is about law and order and having sensible rules so that the guns are in the hands of people who are responsible. We regulate cars, don't we? I mean, if the, NR, if the American Automobile Association had been like the NRA, Imagine what would be driving on the uh, Crosstown Expressway. There'd be beer cans lying all over the place and dead bodies every morning. <laughs> but we don't treat cars that way. We feel we can have cars, and, and these guys can feel macho with their car and all that. Fine, okay, great, but you've got to have a license. You've got to have people have cars, have a license to drive, who have safe driving records, and, you know, you take an eye test or something like that. Well, I think that people should not be getting assault weapons when they have criminal records and or mental incapacities. And they, the NRA says you shouldn't even be able to have background checks when people are buying guns at gun shows or through the, the mail. I mean, it's ridiculous. So the more power to those kids who are standing up for themselves and for their colleagues. So, Professor Painter, we're, professor, we're at the end of the show. Uh, you, you, I, I have to ask because, like, you're here, you have this whole audience, you uh, and you know we've talked about over and over again this hypothetical like campaign that you have, and yet thinking you about it. you're thinking about it like yeah. you're thinking about it to the point where you have like a campaign web page and you have <laughs> a Twitter account for a campaign and you have a treasurer and staff people here and so I why why not just say yeah I'm running I, I would have run this race to win. And I, I want to make sure that I can win this race. I don't want to come in here and just, uh, you know, monkey it up for other people. I want to win. And I am looking at the options here, thinking about how I can win this race and actually do something in Washington and stand up to this administration, stand up to the system of campaign finance uh, that we've got in this country. I am I'm convinced I can win it. But I want to figure out how to do it, and uh, I'm going to work, figure that out over the course of uh, this month and then make an announcement in May. Uh, but I'm in this race to win, and that's what I'm going to do. I mean, it's April. That's close. Um, <laughs> it is. It's just, it, it, you're convinced you can win, and, so, and that's your measure for whether or not you're going to run or not. So you're going to run. Well, I, I'm thinking very seriously about it. I want to leave it at that point right now. I am thinking very seriously about it, but I do not want to take this step unless I am confident that I can win this race. Uh, as I say, I'm not interested in this or some sort of a vanity scene to show off and then 
uh, you know, go do something else. I've got plenty of things to do with my life. If I want to jump into this thing, and I am, you know, it looks like I may very well do it, but I want to make sure I can win <laughs> and I can do the job and stand up to this president and stand up to our corrupt system. We need to clean out Washington. And we need to have senators who will represent the people of each state, not the parties, not the money people uh, who control the purse strings. The people choose the senators. And by the way, I think the senators should stay six years if they're elected for six years. There's a two-year term. I don't think Senator Franken should have resigned. We should have an investigation. We should have found out what happened. I wanted to know why Roger Stone, buddy of Richard Nixon and Donald Trump. Now, who's buddies with Richard Nixon and Donald Trump who doesn't have something up his sleeve? Why he's tweeting about it before I found out about it. I want an investigation. So I want a system that's accountable to the people. And so I'm going to jump in this race if I'm confident I can win, and i got a plan to fix that system. Are you confident you can win? I think I can. But I'm looking at this, and that's what I'm going to be careful on this thing. I'm, that's what I, I'm not just going to jump in it. I'm looking at that. Make sure that I can appeal to enough voters who are uh, Democrats, Republicans, and independents. And more and more voters are independents. Uh, that's, that's important to me, uh, that I can unify uh, this state. I am tired of the Democrat versus Republican thing, always characterizing the other people as somehow the most evil on the face of the planet. And I am sick and tired of the negative ads. And that's one thing. If I run a campaign, I'm not going to have the negative ads going. I will criticize opponents when I disagree with them, or I think they're being too soft on the Donald. Yeah, I will criticize them. But the negative ads, impugning the character of a candidate, are unacceptable. And we do have good candidates in this race, uh, from both the Republican and Democratic parties, are going to have good candidates. It's the parties that are a problem. It's the politics, the system in Washington that's a problem. And we have, on the other race, uh, we've got Amy Klobuchar, and the, the Republicans have a situation they better sort out. Okay, so we're out of time. So do you want to run for Senate, or...? <laughs> That's what we've been talking about. Yes. <laughs> All right. On that note, please, a tremendous <laughs> round of applause. <laughs> Professor Richard. Thank you for listening. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to attend a show in person or even work with us, you can find out more information at our website at www.t2p2.net. This activity was made possible by the voters of Minnesota through a grant from the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council, thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.